go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 3. Sadly, I must say, we have come to the end of our study of this amazing book. I hope you found it very helpful and very relevant as we've walked through these days together. These last verses of Habakkuk chapter 3 are probably the most well-loved and well-known verses of the entire book. The theme of our study has been how long? You remember we began with a concert video of U2 and their classic ending to most conference Psalm 40, concerts, Psalm 40. How long, O Lord? How long until the church experiences revival? How long until justice rolls like a river? And we've deepened that question even this week. How long until mercy delivers us through the fire at last? How long until faith becomes sight? How long till evil is vanquished? And then this morning's topic. How long until this too shall pass. I heard that phrase all through my growing up years. My dad said it so often, I thought maybe he invented it. But I found out this week that on September 30th, 1859, a rising star in American politics gave a speech to the Wisconsin State's uh, Department of Agriculture. And in that speech, he told the story about a Middle Eastern king who was depressed. And he wanted his wise men to come up with a saying that he could have engraved on a ring. That it would always be before him. He could always be reminded of it in any and every circumstance when he was disheartened. They went away, brainstormed and came back with the phrase, this too shall pass. The rising politician, of course, was Abraham Lincoln. And in less than a year, he'd be elected the 16th president of our United States. And with that phrase, this too shall pass, planted in his heart, granting him faith and courage, he was able to lead our nation through one of the darkest times of American history. Habakkuk was going to face one of the darkest times in the church's history. And though this too shall pass is not in the Bible, you won't find it. Well, you will. It's right next to cleanliness. is next to godliness. And... Uh, and Habakkuk, however, using this theme that we're gleaning this morning, it's still a biblical concept. In Psalm 30, verse 5, David writes, Weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. This too shall pass. In 1 Peter 5, in the New Testament, Peter talks about having to go through various trials. And he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God 
And then he goes on to say, God himself, the God of all grace, will soon restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This too shall pass. No matter what you may be facing this morning, this too shall pass. Now, it may not be until the new Jerusalem, but this too shall pass. Injustice too shall one day pass. Violence and hatred and prejudice too shall one day pass. Relational brokenness too shall pass. The things that we're facing right now, COVID one day shall pass. And the more we're able to remind ourselves of this truth that is clearly biblical, the more we'll experience heart transformation. Habakkuk 3 reminds us that no matter what we're going through, this too shall pass. Like Abraham Lincoln, Habakkuk had this, this phrase, this principle planted deeply in his heart. And he was able to be transformed by the grace of God. Let's see how. Stand out of reverence for God. And I'm going to read Habakkuk 3, verses 16 to 19. This is God's word. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. A reminder again that this is a poem, a hymn, a song that is to lead us into fresh faith. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us. And he wants us to continually remind ourselves that no matter what we're going through, this too shall pass. Let's pray. Father, these are sober words, but powerful words that lead us to trust you more deeply. And so, Holy Spirit, wherever we're gathered now, 
change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So just to review the context real quickly, uh, Habakkuk was concerned that the church was backslidden. He wanted revival. He cries out to God, God, do you not see? God says, oh yeah, I see. I'm going to bring the Babylonians to judge the church. They're going to devastate Jerusalem and they're going to carry off my people into exile. Habakkuk cries out, wait, Lord, the cure is worse than the disease. God says, no, I'm going to deal with the Babylonians as well. After about 70 years. And Habakkuk laments what's ahead for God's people. And in this particular passage, he knows that what God has said will occur. It's inevitable. It's unavoidable. And Habakkuk pens these words, not just for himself, not just for Judah, but also for us today. Three encouragements God gives us that even if we're facing our greatest challenge of our lives, the most heartbreaking situation we could ever imagine, that we could have hope and find strength. Three encouragements to guide us through hard times. I'll give them to you up front, and then we'll cover them one by one. Wait courageously, surrender completely, and rejoice continually. Wait courageously. Look at verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. In other words, as Habakkuk reflects on what's about to happen, and he realizes there's no escape, he realizes he can't keep a stiff upper lip. His lips are quivering. He's undone. He's wrecked. He's realistic about what's to happen. It's bad. It's real bad. And there's no stopping it. And maybe some of us are facing similar circumstances this morning. Maybe you've heard bad news about your health or about your marriage, about your family, about your business, about your income. It's bad, real bad. And there's no stopping it. So what do you do? You do what Habakkuk did. You wait courageously. Look what he says in verse 16 at the end. I will quietly wait. First, he's quietly waiting for the Babylonians to come. He he maybe has to wait a couple years for this to happen. How'd you like to wait for two years knowing that, that devastation is coming and exile? You're just waiting for it. But he also says, he waits quietly for the day of trouble to come upon the invaders. God has told him, Habakkuk, this too shall pass. It's not even here yet, and he's got to wait for it. And then they've got to wait 70 years in exile. You know, you look all through Scripture, 
God always makes his people late. It's what builds courage and faith. It's what weans us from broken sticks that we try to lean on that would simply pierce our hands. Abraham had to wait 25 years for the promise of a child to be fulfilled. Joseph had to wait almost two decades. He had to wait through injustice. He had to wait through being forgotten. He had to wait courageously for many years. David had to wait. He was anointed as king, yet he wasn't actual king. He had to wait courageously while the current king, Saul, hunted him down and tried to kill him. He had to live in the wilderness and the caves and rocks for years. Like Habakkuk, he had to wait courageously. Look at verse 16. Rottenness enters my bones. My leg tremble beneath me. What today is causing your legs to tremble? What's causing your chin to begin to wiggle around with the verge of tears about to come from your eyes. I want you to know that faith is not the absence of fear. Be, be encouraged. This is a prophet here. This is a prophet of God. God has met him. And yet he still says, my body trembles, my lips quiver, my, my legs are trembling. Rottenness enters my bones. I, I feel like I'm just going to melt away. You know, one of the sad things in the church today is people who are believers thinking that they need to live in the midst of spin control. Things are bad, real bad. Yet you ask them how they're doing, fine. It's fake. It's not real. And God doesn't suffer fake well. And of course, we all know what it means to be fine, don't we? Remember? Fearful, insecure, neurotic, exhausted. God longs for us to approach Him in honest vulnerability just like Habakkuk did. I've even heard, I'm sure you have as well, and I dare say some of us probably believe this. If you're a Christian, don't you ever confess a negative thought. Don't ever speak it out loud. You've heard that, haven't you? That is so ridiculous. There are these people that believe if you confess a negative thing, it gives God the, the devil power, and you're going to create bad events in your life. Gee, I, I didn't realize Satan was sovereign. No, 
Confessing negative thoughts and experiences is not going to create negative events. You confess negative thoughts and experiences before God, it's going to create a changed life. God moves as we approach him in authenticity. I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come. Joshua 1.5, Moses says to Joshua right before they enter the promised land, be strong and courageous. Not, not work it up by your own bootstraps. Be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The reason why we can wait courageously is due to the presence and promises of God. We need to wait courageously for businesses to open. We need to wait courageously for violence to cease. We need to wait courageously for justice to roll on like a river. We need to wait courageously in broken marriages. We need to wait courageously for wayward children. We need to wait courageously in economic hardship. We need to wait courageously even as we battle sin, self, and temptation. In our instant mashed potatoes culture and our microwave society, few things are more difficult than waiting courageously. I've had a beautiful picture this year, actually for several years, of what it looks like to wait courageously. I'm going to boast in the grace of our God toward our children. Our oldest son, Josh, and his wife, Kara, have been married for over six years, and that entire time they struggled with infertility. They had to wait courageously. And the more tests they took and procedures they engaged in, the more challenging the news became. They had to wait courageously. And then they decided God was calling them to adopt. And time after time after time, their requests for a match didn't work out. And they had to wait courageously. Then they were found out they were matched with twins. And amazingly, without telling Laurie or myself, that's what they've actually had been praying for, twins. But they had to wait courageously for the twins to be born. And then they found out that the mom pregnant with the twins had a two-year-old and that they couldn't now have the twins unless they also adopted the two-year-old. So now they had to consider going from zero to three in a snap of a finger. Two newborns is enough. Add a two-year-old, no matter how wonderful she is, things get a little intense. But they decided to wait courageously on the Lord, and he led them to say yes. Then they drove to the place where they were to adopt, and they had to wait courageously for weeks 
for anything to happen. And then while they were waiting, the mom changed her mind and said, you can have the two-year-old, but you cannot have the twins. And they had to wait courageously. They received the two-year-old and waited and waited, hoping that the mom would change her mind about the twins, and she didn't. They got into a car, so very thankful for their daughter, and left for Birmingham. Halfway home, they received a call. What they had waited for had happened. They were going to get the twins as well. So they turn around, go back, and wait courageously for the twins to be brought to them. Then they get in the car and come back. And COVID-19 hits. Zero to three. And now no help. And they had to wait courageously. And they still are. What is God doing in your life today where he's calling you to wait courageously? It's not always pleasant. Habakkuk, his legs shook. And Josh and Kara's legs have shook, shaken some, some of this time. And Laurie's and my legs have shaken some of this time. And please, big, big, big reminder here. It's not something Josh and Kara worked up. It's not something that Laurie and I work up. And it's nothing that you can work up. Only God, by his presence and promises, can enable us to wait courageously. Secondly, wait courageously and surrender completely. Look at verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the produce of the olive fail, and the vines yield no grapes for, for great wines. Habakkuk is lamenting that during this time of trial and, and devastation, the finer things of life are going to be taken away. These are the, the rich things in life, perhaps the, the luxuries of life. Fine wine, great food, they're going to be removed. And then he moves on. Though the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, these are the necessities of life. Not just the luxuries of life are going to be taken away, but the very necessities of life are going to be taken away. And it's hitting Habakkuk. It's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad. And what's he do? Verse 18. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. He surrenders completely to the loving, kind, good heart of God. He doesn't judge God's heart by his current circumstances. Instead, he judges his current circumstances through the grid of God's love 
at goodness. He says, God, no matter what happens, can you say this with Habakkuk? God, no matter what happens, I surrender all. No holding back. No holding out. No matter what happens. We see this in Scripture. In Daniel 3, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're commanded to bow down before this golden statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are sold out to Jesus Christ. And they say, we are not going to bow. Nebuchadnezzar says, if you do not bow, I'm going to build this great furnace. I'm going to heat it up as hot as it gets, and I'm going to throw you into it. Remember what they said? Listen, O king, our God is able to deliver us from the flames. But even if he does not, we will not bow down to the idol that you have set up. Jesus in the garden. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. That is the prayer of surrender. Even if you do not, I surrender all. Even if this cup can't pass, I surrender all. Even if what I most fear comes upon me, I surrender all. You need to realize that surrender has always been a terrifying prospect for me. I told you several weeks ago about my 40 years of journaling. Recently, I journaled about surrender. Let me read you what I wrote. God, I'm afraid of surrender. It feels like giving up. It feels like letting go, and I don't like that. It feels like I'm opening myself up to even more pain. If I totally surrender... Who knows what you'll do? Will you give me cancer to grow my faith? Will I experience deep family loss to wean me from earthly props and crutches? Will you place me back into a dark night of the soul that I experienced 30 years ago? It's almost like I make a deal with the devil, Lord. If I'm 98.5% sold out, but hold back just that little bit, then maybe the devil will leave me alone. It's like you too in their song Vertigo. Just give me what I want and no one gets hurt. Jesus, you said, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whatever loses their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will find it. 
You can tell I write long entries. What does it mean, God, to lose my life? What does it mean to surrender all? What I'm learning, Lord, is that as long as I seek to save my life through control or holding back, I'm going to end up losing my life, which is what I most fear, losing my life. But if I'm wanting to lose my life and surrender completely, whatever that means, then I'll actually save it, which is actually what I most desire. For so long, I've seen surrender as terrifying and unsafe. But by grace, I'm starting to see surrender as the safest place to live, as well as the only place of transformation and true ministry to others. God, I'm still freaking out as I consider what it could mean to lose my life. But now I'm asking, what does control and holding back offer me? I'm actually beginning to see that surrendering completely to your love and goodness is the only place of safety and peace. I'm actually learning there's so much more to fear from control and holding back than from surrender. And then I wrote down all the verses of I surrender all. Where are you holding back today? How are you living 98.5% sold out? Have you made a deal with the devil? Just don't get too committed and no one gets hurt. Can we all commit by grace to surrender completely this morning? What's stopping you? What fears are in the way? What anxieties surface? It doesn't work, folks. Holding back doesn't work. You won't save your life by holding back. You'll lose it. And though surrendering all may feel like the scariest thing you've ever done, it's the only place of safety and life. Do it right now. Surrender all right now. It's got to be disappointing to hear your pastor share how messed up he is. But maybe some of us this morning will find the courage and the grace to surrender all because of it. And then thirdly and finally, wait courageously, surrender completely, and thirdly, rejoice continually. Look at verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Notice, critical here, joy is not a feeling, it's a choice. I will rejoice in spite of whatever happens. Even if there's no cattle in the stalls, even if there's nothing in the refrigerator, 
even though we've got nothing left in the freezer and there's no cars in the driveway and there's not even a house to sleep in. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord with a fresh glimpse of God's good heart and love. Habakkuk is strengthened to find his joy in Christ. Verse 18, the second part. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Not in my circumstances. Not in things working out the way I thought they would or hoped they would or want them to. But I will choice the act of a renewed will empowered by grace. I will take joy in the Lord. Verse 19. God the Lord is my strength. My hope, your hope, is not in our own strength. Our joy and hope is that God is our strength. Verse 19, perhaps the most famous verse in all of Habakkuk and in some ways in in almost any other place of Scripture. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. I have a friend who lives in Montana and we went up to Glacier National Park and there were these these mountain goats, these, these deer as well. And I mean, I can't imagine a, a, a face steeper than, than these rock faces. And yet, these goats and deer were hopping along like it was level ground. How'd they do that? Well, God made them that way. But God can transform each of us to walk on those kinds of heights as well. When our children were younger, I took them all on dates uh, we called them dates, but it was actually discipleship appointments. They just didn't know that. And uh, as they got older, by the way, when they were younger, I took them through the children's catechism, which is really parallel to a good confession that we're going through as a church. When they got older, I started to find books just for them individually. And I remember taking Hannah through a book written by another Hannah, uh, Hannah Hernard. And the book was Hind's Feet on High Places. And the title comes from Habakkuk 3.19. He makes my feet like the deer. He makes me able to run on my high places. If you've never read the book, it's, it's, it's like a pilgrim's progress but um, for girls. But it's not really for girls. It's for anybody that's got ears to hear. I enjoyed it. It's one of the first books I read as a new Christian. And I couldn't wait to read it with Hannah. The main character is named Much Afraid. You know why I like it now, don't you? She's an orphan. She has deformities of her face and mouth and feet. She's been adopted by a terrible family called the Fearings. And they treat her terribly. She lives in the valley of humiliation. And she's constantly being abused. One day she meets the chief shepherd, shepherd, and surrenders her life to him 
and wants to follow him and become one of his shepherdesses. But the fearing family who's adopted her hates the chief shepherd. And they try to prevent her from following him. They try to force her to marry one of their cousins named Craven Fear. She cries out to the great shepherd and says, please let me go to the high places with you. And he says, okay. And then surprisingly, he gives her two companions to be with her on the way. Sorrow and suffering. Because she finds her joy in the chief shepherd, she surrenders and moves on courageously in spite of her fears. And sorrow and suffering following the chief shepherd's path bring much afraid to the forest of danger and tribulation, the valley of loss and the precipice of injury. And all through their journey, the fearing family is trying to intimidate her and turn her back to the valley of humiliation. People from the family, resentment, bitterness, craven fear, pride, and self-pity taunt her the whole way. Yet she clings to her companions, sorrow and suffering. Finally, she's enabled to reach a high places and the chief shepherd meets her and he changes her name from much afraid to grace and glory. And sorrow and suffering are transformed as well. They become joy and peace. And then the chief shepherd takes her to the cliff, overlooking the valley of humiliation, and talks to her about going back down voluntarily and offering her cruel family an opportunity to meet the chief shepherd as well. And she goes. The path to the high places doesn't often lead the way we would think or like or choose. But if we keep our eyes on the chief shepherd, our sorrow and suffering will be transformed into joy and peace as well. And he will make our feet like the deer's. And we will run on the high places. And we'll be able to say in faith, no matter what comes our way, this too shall pass. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Habakkuk. What a relevant, hopeful, challenging book for such a time as this. Again, Lord, if there's anybody watching or here today that doesn't know Jesus, might today be the day they too surrender to the chief shepherd. God, might we transfer our trust from our own works or abilities and trust in Christ alone in this finished work. 
his obedient life in substitutionary death. God, if there are any of us who are holding back on surrender, might we speak the words, even now I surrender all. So God, enable us to wait courageously. Enable us to surrender completely. Enable us to rejoice constantly and continually. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.